Listen, God has a calling for your life, and it's our job as a family to help you discover and figure out and find your way so that you're not comparing yourselves to what they're doing or how somebody else is doing something that it might be a little different. All comes back to, do you know your child's strengths and weaknesses? Do they know their strengths and weaknesses? And not majoring on the weaknesses, but helping them develop and cultivate the strengths that God gave them. Connie Albers spent 25 years parenting her five children, 20 years working with teens. She's really all about strengthening families, parenting, homeschooling teens, faith-filled living, and leadership. Now, she communicates a lot of what she believes through her books, public speaking, and putting up with radio hosts like myself. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, it's my pleasure. I love it. (laughs) Connie Albers, welcome to Memphis, Tennessee. Is this your first time to Memphis? No, I actually lived in Memphis and gave birth to two of my five children here. Did you really? I did. And how long ago was that? A long time ago. (laughs) (laughs) You get to a certain point in age, it's kind of hard to remember dates and times, right? You just know what happened. that's true. We actually lived here from 1986 to 1990 and just fell in love with Memphis. So every time I come back, I feel home. There's just the community, the culture, the the heartbeat of Memphis I just love. Of course, you can't bypass the ribs and all the good barbecue. And Okay, should we give a plug? Yes, we went to Corky's last night, <laughs> okay. of course. <laughs> yeah, you got to have Corky's or some good and Memphis then, barbecue. Oh, and then we went to Gus's Fried Chicken. Isn't that oh, good? That was so, I've never been there. I'll tell you, we've got some really good eateries here mm-hmm. in town and very thankful for the Memphis cuisine. Mm-hmm. But hey, before we jump in, looking forward to talking about this new book, as you mentioned, is coming out. Parenting Beyond the Rules. And before we jump into it right Mm -hmm. now, do you remember when the idea of family first entered your mind and heart? Well, really, it entered my mind when I was unexpectedly found out I was pregnant. I'm like, oh, we're building a family now. And it turned into, what do I do next? What do you do with these little humans? How do you raise them? How do you train them? How do you teach them up in the way they should go? And that happened to start off here in Memphis. And I was surrounded by some amazing mentor moms that just sort of showed me what it looked like, the high calling of motherhood. And that was my first taste of, oh, this is an incredible job. And I embraced it. I think similar as a dad, I remember when our first son was born. Mm -hmm. I was in the delivery room when he was born. All three of the boys I was. But that first one, oh my goodness, I almost passed out. Cause Did you really? <laughs> almost, yeah, just watching them give the IV to my wife. Yeah. I mean, things started getting shaky. You know, I had to sit mm-hmm. down and the nurse came over and started taking care of me. Put your head between your legs and <laughs> kind of calm me down. <laughs> it was crazy. But there's something about that firstborn when you realize, wow, I'm a parent now. Well, for me, it was, I'm going to answer to the Lord for how I parent this child. I had to take this job serious because yep. you only have one opportunity one childhood, and I wanted it to be the best it could possibly be, which meant I need to unpack some things in my own childhood so that I didn't bring those over into yeah. raising my children. And that's what I want to do. I kind of want to get the backstory and the conditions that you were raised under. Mm-hmm. Tell me about them. Well, I did not have an ideal childhood. I don't know that anybody does, but I often tell people I didn't have a lot of fun in the dysfunction of my childhood. My parents actually had a pretty bad boating accident, and it caused my folks to not be able to survive that. My mom was badly burned, and they couldn't survive that. From that, life just dramatically changed. It became all about survival. There was no childhood. It was, you got to live, you got to survive. I thought, there's got to be a better way, and I write about that in the book. You know, you have these children, there's no guidebook. There's no, can you tell me like the five simple steps to getting this right? 
there wasn't that. But I do know that God does give us a blueprint, and it's his word. And so I just started studying his word and realizing that he has designed these little humans with unique strengths, gifts, and talents. And that he is, and if you notice the cover of the book, it's it's paintbrushes with yeah. different size paintbrushes and colors, and it's a paint swatch. Your child is a masterpiece, and God gives us all these different colors and paintbrush strokes to create the masterpiece he's made them to be. So you really didn't have, Connie, that experience from your parents. This is what they did well. This is what they could have done better at. You just kind of pick up where you were and trust God. Yeah, absolutely. I just said, you know, God, there has to be a way. I know I didn't want what we had. A lot of arguing, a lot of fighting, of course, a very bitter divorce, fragments, just hurt all over the place and i just thought to the lord you're you have created these children and you've given them to us and you've said teach them train them well and that became my whole pursuit how do i do that so i started reading everything um listening talking to mothers that had gone before me what did you do how did you do it why did you do it what works what doesn't work and what i learned is there isn't a formulaic equation yeah. To parenting children. As you know, you've got several children yourself. You didn't take the advice of WebMD talking about raising your kids. <laughs> I think point number three was don't read books on parenting. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So, I, you know, we're really good, Byron, at creating rules and limits and boundaries, which is why my book isn't about rules, limits, and boundaries. We're great at those. We set those up from the early get-go. But what happens when those children start pushing back against those? And that was the reason the book was Beyond the Rules. Because we have to forge a relationship. So that was one thing I didn't have in my childhood was a really strong relationship. When the divorce happened, my dad was gone, and I never spoke to him again um, throughout my childhood. And my mom just became so distant because of all that had happened. She was working two or three jobs just to survive. So um, that was kind of the driving catalyst for me. And we're going to kind of focus primarily on teens this afternoon on our program. And I believe it was Mark Twain that said, when a child turns 12, he should be kept in a barrel and fed through the bunghole (laughs) until he reaches 16, at which time you plug the bunghole. Now, we're not advocating Mark Twain's parenting tips on today's show by any means, but I think it indicates some frustration parents often encounter when raising their teens. How do we control them? How do we relate to them? How do we maintain a relationship with them? Wow, you've just really hit on several nerves. One, we don't control them. I think that's the misnomer. We think when they're little, we can control them. We decide when they go out, when they play, who they're going to play with, how long they're going to play. But then when they move into the murky, mysterious middle school years, um, we they go to bed happy and they wake up grumpy and we ask them, what's wrong? And they're like, I don't know what's wrong. Um, because their bodies are naturally starting to change from child and they're going through the transitional process of becoming an adult. And that's where we have had all these, okay, this is what we do. We go to bed at this time. We get up at this time. We have breakfast at this time. And then as they start to grow, things start to change. And as your child starts to change, as a parent, we have to adjust. Yeah. And we set the rules. We set the limits. We set the boundaries. And we have to be willing to say, let's pivot and let's parent the child we have, not the one we wish we had, not our friend's kids. Let's parent that child. Yeah, it's so easy to compare, look at others and see, oh, they're so successful. You know, I can never match up to that. Social media is a great catalyst for that comparison trap. Yeah, we we didn't even have that trap when I was raising our boys. So, yeah, that's something even new. Okay, in the book, Parenting Beyond the Rules, you emphasize having confidence and joy 
with raising teens. I mean, can you really put those all in the same sentence, that confidence, joy, and teens? <laughs> you can, because if you start to view that child as they're a masterpiece created by God, and God gives you, the parent, the primary influence of that child's life, and he allows you to paint the foundational principles of honesty and values and beliefs and principles and you're adding that to that child layer upon layer one stroke at a time and let's say the child gets a little um, derailed they make some poor choices let's say then you're able to go back and add a grace the colors of grace and humility and forgiveness and restoration and and heal those relationships which is kind of what you said earlier how do we actually do that well you've got to focus on keeping their heart i mean you have their heart when they're little but we start to lose it or we can lose it if we're not careful during the the adolescent years is it that we possibly become complacent as parents or we're not doing something right or they're just being drawn with all the other glitter and things that come along their way i think it's a combination of the fact one they are becoming more independent they do want more freedom and it is less um we have less conflict when we just go okay do whatever you want to do um or listen i'm going to pick my battles wisely so there is a combination of that and the other part to that is just realizing that we are like laying stepping stones for them and if we become a student of our child and that comes by way of relationship of knowing them knowing how god's wired them and made them and that comes through observation so i tell parents pay attention pay attention to the little things pay attention to the body language the silent language the body language listen to what they're saying when they make little comments and tuck those away because they're giving insights into what's going on in their heart. Yeah. Um, I think sometimes, too, I think I've learned with our kids growing up, Connie, sometimes you have to give them, even in their different stages, give them that space. You just got to kind of be patient, pray for them, and be there alongside them, support them as best as you can. You know, we want to give them freedom, but I've always said to my kids and I tell parents, give them freedom. Because with that freedom comes responsibility. When they show they can manage that freedom, they get more responsibility. They can manage the responsibility, they get more freedom. It's just this beautiful yeah. relation, you know, kind of like process. When they can't handle the responsibility, it's not like you're yanking it away from them. You're just saying, you know what, I don't think you can handle this right now. Let's just wait. We're not going to do this for a little while until I can see you're able to handle it. Then it's not this control thing. And that was kind of what you were alluding to. We don't control them. We have a a false sense. We can take away their devices. We can ground them. We can take away the car keys. We cannot let them play sports. But that is not going after the heart. And that's what I'm all about. Let's get a bigger picture of what our families can look like when we're no longer having to parent them and they move into the adult years. I tell parents, don't you want your kids to want to come back when they don't have to? Let's take it back to the parents for a second and some of the misunderstandings that we as parents have about our role in relation to our teenage children. They need us desperately. See, we start to think, oh, they're getting more independent, so we can just kind of let them do their own thing. No, 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 no. We need to be equally engaged because it's no longer like the younger childhood years. We're physically exhausted because we're chasing all after them. Now, during the teen years, it's mentally and emotionally because we need to be available when they have been picked on, when they struggle in class, when they aren't excelling, when they themselves start comparing themselves to other people. We need to be observing what's going on with them and when we start to see something just say hey what's going on kids need especially teenagers three things from us they need to know where they belong they belong within our family unit their identity well their identity is first found in the lord 
then it's found within the family unit. We are this particular family. This is how we do things. This is what we do. And I used to say, we're Alberts, and this is how we do things. Oh, okay. (laughs) And they kind of like, okay. And they find that sense of identity in the earthly formation of the family. You know, that's so true. I remember when our kids were little, they would be seeing their friends do things that we did not allow Mm -hmm. our kids. Not that they were doing things bad, but some parents would let their kids do things that Mm -hmm. we didn't want our kids to do. And so my oldest son would say, Dad, why can't we do that? And I said, well, here's the deal, buddy. You're in the Tyler Family Army. And the Tyler Family Army does things a little different than your friend's family does. This is the way we do this. We operate and everything. And when he got that picture in his mind, it really made things so much easier. Yeah, they don't push back as much because they know where they belong. And the third part, the, the third thing a child needs, it's a core need, is they need to feel safe. Our children want to talk to us. And I've worked with kids for about 25 years, and they just say, I wish my parents would listen. The reason so many of them don't go to their parents is they're afraid of the reaction they're going to get or the overreaction. And if we're just slowing it back a little bit and saying, listen, I just need to be available. I need them to know I'm here. They can trust me with those secrets. They can trust me with something that they know another child has done that I'm not going to cut them off from them. Kind of almost like when we get to be adults, we forget what it was like to be a teenager ourselves, you know, because we all need that. We Mm -hmm. all want that to be able to communicate, feel like we can talk to our parents about those issues and things that are bothering us. You know, young teenagers can get overcommitted with all the activities and things and need some advice and help navigating through those times. Absolutely. Okay, we talked about a little bit about the outside negative influences, and they're all around seeking our teenagers' attention. This is probably one of the biggest concerns that parents have. How do we guide our teenagers through the maze of all those different influences? Well, that's a great question. Um, it, It comes by way of knowing that child. You know, I have five children, and all of them were very different. They weren't just like me, and I wasn't parenting them to be just like me or to be just like each other. So when we have to talk to them about navigating this, it starts by saying, listen, I know you're drawn toward this relationship, or maybe you're experiencing FOMO. You feel like maybe I'm missing out. And we have to just go back, taking them back to the point of, listen, God has a calling for your life, and it's our job as a family to help you discover and figure out and find your way so that you're not comparing yourselves to what they're doing or how somebody else is doing something that it might be a little different. All comes back to, do you know your child's strengths and weaknesses? Do they know their strengths and weaknesses? And not majoring on the weaknesses, but helping them develop and cultivate the strengths that God gave them. That's a really good word there, Connie. And, you know, we as parents, we want to keep that influence. Mm -hmm. You know, we talked about that. And how there's that separation sometimes, and we wonder how do we lose the influence, you know, of our teenagers? Is there steps that we can do? Is there cautions? Is there things that we can do as parents to to avoid losing that? Yes. One, we've got to starve the fear. When we start to doubt what's happening, we get afraid, afraid we're running out of time, afraid we're not having the influence, afraid that others are influencing our child more than we are. We've got to start that, starve that fear. Starving that fear means knowing the word of God. It means being, walking with the Lord, listening to the Lord and letting um, you be guided by that. Two, you've got to listen to them. You've got to understand they want to talk. So listen and leave margin in your life for listening. And the other thing is for you to monitor your mouth. We forget the words that come out of our mouth. Do they land in a tender part of their heart? 
or do we overreact and we you know because you know teens can push our buttons right i mean they they just know that combination and some teens love to figure that combination out and just keep pushing the button just to see how fast mom can get upset or dad and i tell parents you monitor your mouth and you let those children know that one day you're going to stand before the lord and give an account for every word that you say and i would tell parents constantly Think before you speak and ask yourself if what I'm saying is going to land in a tender spot and create the relationship that I want, because it can have the potential for a a defining moment where they remember mom always did. Dad always did. Or I knew mom was just going to get angry and that was it. I'd be grounded for a month. A lot of teens, and as you mentioned, were kind of raised in a single parent home yourself. The parent is doing all they can do to provide for the physical needs of their teen They come home exhausted after working long hours, possibly even two jobs, but they may feel guilty for being disconnected with their teen. Mm -hmm. What kind of advice do you give them? Well, kids aren't looking for you to solve all their problems, especially teenagers. They've already known because they've lived with you. They know what you think, what you believe, why you believe it, and how you would solve the problem. Teens just want you to be available. And, you know, when a mom is is busy working because she's, you know, got to pay the bills, all they want is some of your time, the gift of time. The gift of availability. They want to talk to us. Most of the time, they don't want us to solve their problem. They just need space. They need the opportunity to kind of process externally, knowing that that's all you're going to do. You're like, I understand. I'll be praying for you. Let me know if you want to talk at another point. Out of the five teenagers that you and Tom raised, Mm -hmm. what were some of the issues that challenged your parenting position most? Raising an artist was probably the most struggling one because, really? yeah, because she, and it was my second daughter, she's, and she's gone on to be, she's a professional artist now, photographer. It, what was hard about that is she saw beauty in everything, but she also had to process everything differently. And, and for example, she's a Mary, I'm Martha. I just love checklists and I love to get things done. The hardest part with Jeannie was keeping her heart, allowing her to, become the person, the creative outlet that she needed to be in without putting in her box, without all the rules around her, because she fell in love with the Lord and she wanted to show the world there was beauty to be seen in creation. And that was probably the hardest because the personality was, don't put me in a box. You didn't really have a frame of reference yourself. Well, you're not artistic. I'm no, assuming, she, yeah. no, she has more creativity in one fingernail than i have my whole body (laughs) (laughs) you say your goal is to equip women in their calling yeah out of everything you teach what's the one foundational thing that all women must have in order to move towards their fulfilling that calling in their life they've got to devour god's word in the morning so they can fight it out in the day if we're not spending time filling up with God's word and it, you know, depending on your season, I often talked about Ecclesiastes. You've got to know your season. When you're a mama of littles, you don't have as much time to be in the word, but you can be in the word every morning, even if it's just a verse and then you chew on it all day. And it's like, Lord, I'm going to have communion with you all throughout the day. Give me what I need to pour out and give the portion to my kids. That is the most important thing. Devour in the morning so you can divide throughout the day. Connie, some listening to us right now might say, well, she seems to have it all together. (laughs) But what have been some of your personal struggles raising your teens and just in your family? Um, Never feeling like I was enough. I wasn't doing enough. I wasn't doing it right. I would say the wrong thing. I would say hurtful things because I didn't know what else to do. I was trying to control instead of guide and direct them. Those were the hardest parts for me was just never knowing if I was doing enough. Through the five children. Mm -hmm. When did you discover that? 
<laughs> Actually, when Jeannie was 12 years old, yeah, I was standing in the hallway. She didn't want to be put in a box, and she didn't like checklists. She didn't like rules. She didn't like any of that. She just wanted to be Jeannie. And I stood in the hallway, and I was crying. And, and it's hard for parents. You know, most moms can, can get to a defining moment in their parenting. That just it was the pivoting moment. I just said, Lord, help me learn how to love her well. And that became a game changer because then I thought, no, I have to love each of them well according to their bend and their strengths and their personality and their temperament because God has a path for them and it's all going to be different. Didn't you have some physical struggles too in I your did, life? I did. I did. I was diagnosed with stage four Lyme's disease. That had me bedridden. I was completely paralyzed, couldn't feed myself or dress or anything. And I thought, oh, this is, this is going to be it. This is going to be what takes me out. Um, I also learned that God's God provides. Um, when we are unable, we re- lean in and rely on him. And how long did you live that way? A couple years. Really? Yeah, it was a couple years. Was it a tick? Uh, well, th- we never found that, but yes, I tested positive with the titer for Lyme disease. Yeah. So I was I couldn't use my, uh, my joints were all impacted and my brain. So I would try to read and I couldn't remember anything. Um and it took, you know, I was on a lot of treatment, a lot of antibiotic stuff. I did finally get completely healed, uh, totally healed, and I have no residual from it. But wow. it was a hard time. It was wow. a hard time. What a testimony. Yeah. And I'm sure you had people to come around you during that time to help you and Tom. And, you know, I have to tell you what's really interesting of why I wrote the book, because you brought up my biggest struggle being my daughter. I mean, I also had another. My caboose was a very challenging child because he struggled with attention deficit and stuff. But with her, we were standing in the parking lot. I was almost finished parenting. You know, I was getting ready to turn the tassel of the last child. And I was going to start another company and just kind of get back into life. And she said, Mom, you've done a lot of really cool things before you had children, B.C. She goes, Mom, you're doing a lot of really cool things now that the kids are all grown. And she made this big circle in the middle, and she said, but, Mom, look at this. And as she was making the circle, she said, Mom, this is your life's greatest work. Look at your kids. Look at the family you and Daddy built. And I was just, I was standing there weeping in the pan, in the parking lot of Panera going, this is what God's talking about. Yeah. I mean, she was not a teenager asking, you know, telling me how wonderful I was because she wanted the keys. She was in her 20s and she was saying, Mom, you've got to pour back into younger women. And I thought that was the whole reason I wrote the book. You know, Connie, I was just thinking, you know, the Apostle Paul talked about there was no greater joy that he saw that his children and he was speaking of the spiritual children. Yeah. But you can say the same thing for a parent. There's no greater joy that a parent see their kid be successful. Yeah. I don't mean successful in the world's eyes. I know. It's just incredible to know the joy it gives you. There's no words for it. Yeah. And as you know, when you go through the teen years, you're, you're not really quite sure how they're going to turn If you ever experience that joy. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Some kids you're pretty sure you never will. But the truth is, and I tell parents, you cannot quit. It's always too soon to quit, but you can rest. So if you need to pull back on something, pull back. God does not have second best for us when we are taking care of the most important things that he's given us, and that is our family. Kids uh, learn very quickly how to play one parent against the other. (laughs) I know you know this. How do parents get on the same page when it comes to raising teens? Because that can be a tough time, too. Well, one, don't ever correct your spouse in front of your children. They'll be on that real quick. Talk about it privately. 
pray together and then discuss the issues you were trying to accomplish. Like, what are we trying to work in this child? Maybe it's a character quality. Maybe it's a virtue. Maybe it's you want them to clean better or you want them to be more assertive in or more, you know, stead, uh, not steadfast, but you want them to be um, more determined and persevering in their schoolwork. Whatever it is that you have determined that you need to help this child with, do it privately and then bring it to them um, as a couple. Uh, don't undermine each other. Don't undermine each other. Honor each other in front of the other child. So if, even if, like, my husband would just say something, because we have different things we liked. There were there was certain music I didn't want. There were certain TV shows I didn't want. There were certain TV shows he didn't want. And we wouldn't let the kids, you know, play us that way. Yeah. So that just involves communicating. As we start to wrap up today, Connie, I can't help but think there's uh, a parent right now that has a teen that's going through something really tough in their life, you know? Yeah. And, and one of the things about parenting teens, you can often find it be a very isolating place for you, you know? Uh, you face the challenge that you need to honor your teenager's desire for privacy. And you can't just go out and just talk to somebody about it. You can't find that confidence sometimes. You also fear being judged. Mm -hmm. You know, Mm -hmm. how is a parent going to navigate through that? Because that's a very tough time when they feel like they're dealing with something so heavy. They're all alone. Yeah. 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 You know, that's where you, you know, I'd love to say go to your network of friends. If you have one or two trusted friends, go to them and ask them to pray for you. Don't You don't need to divulge all the information unless, of course, it's something you need to bring somebody else in on. But you are wise in what you just said. Don't go, don't go out there and spread it out. Certainly don't post and ask advice on social media. That is, that is not right to do. Don't call them out on it. Remember that God is not finished with that child, that he is taking, he has the, the directives of what he wants that child to be. And some of the things our kids wrestle with, those become part of their testimony. Whether we, we don't always want them, but they do become part of the testimony that one day they're going to be using to tell others, hey, I tried that. It doesn't work out so good. So remember, God is not finished. You are their greatest cheerleader. You are the primary influence in their heart, and they need to know that no matter what, you love them unconditionally. The one takeaway that you hope every reader of Parenting Beyond the Rules takes home. Maximize your relationship. Once you maximize your relationship, you have influence. When you have influence, you're able to shape, mold, and guide your child to becoming the person God wants them to be. And the book is available. It's out right now. How do we get a copy? Yeah, it's available actually on in every major retailer, Barnes & Noble, Target, Walmart, Amazon, all Christian Book Distributor, uh, Tyndall House, and Nap Press. That's a great way to pick it up. And also, you blog regularly, too, I believe. I do, at ConnieAlberts.com. And how often do you do that? Well, right now I'm in the middle of a blog <laughs> tour, so not so I'm book tour, so yeah. not as much. But I typically try to get a blog a week out. Uh, I'm doing a lot of guest blog posting right now, lots of traveling and speaking. So not quite as much, but it slows down here next week when I get home. God bless you, Connie. Thank you so much for being our guest today. Thank you for what you're doing for Christ's kingdom, helping parents to be able to parent beyond the rules in this latest book and making it available. Thank you so much, Jackie, for arranging this. Connie, thanks again. Thank you so much for having me. It was my pleasure. And get that web address one more time. Yes, it's ConnieAlbers.com. Okay. Well, friends, that's all the time we have on this edition of Mid-South Viewpoint. I do appreciate you stopping by. I'm Byron Tyler, and we'll talk to you next time. Bye-bye.